Good morning, everybody. That was a pretty exciting song. He knew from the beginning the price he would have to pay, the cross. Very exciting. Well, it's our privilege again to be here with you, and uh, it's always so good to look into your faces and to see people who love us and we love them and uh, to feel welcome, part of the family, as Dean says, and it's, it's just wonderful. Thank you so much for having us and blessing us with your presence this morning. And if Adel is looking, watching this program, I'd just like to say, uh, Adel, I just missed your welcome this morning, but I know you're there, and uh, Lord bless you. Make a quick recovery. Well, I'm a person who reads the newspaper almost every day. And I watch the news on television. And in view of what I read and what I watch, I am paying closer attention to my Bible. The news we read is so often discouraging. And our president, in one speech not too long ago, used the word crisis 12 times to describe what is going on today. So what to do? The TV news has given us startling pictures of a world out of control and which is sinking deeper and deeper into an ever-expanding pit of despair. What to do? I don't know whether you remember this or not, but in the middle of October of last year, I gave a message on the first 12 verses of 1 Peter. And it seems to me today, more than ever, that the message of 1 Peter is so necessary in the times in which we live. I mentioned at that time that I had Googled the word persecution on my computer, and I discovered seven countries in Asia where Persecution is rampant. Seven countries in Africa. Fourteen countries in Asia. Twelve countries in the Middle East. And on and on it goes. Persecution is epidemic throughout our world. And the last scourge is the threat of piracy now. But an even greater threat is the nuclear capability of uh, Korea and Iran soon to join the club. But a still more grave threat is that the Taliban might take over Pakistan. They are now operating between 60 and 70 miles of Islamabad, the capital. And throughout the book of 1 Peter, he writes... And this is what he calls Christians in his day. He calls them pilgrims, aliens, strangers, scattered, homeless. That is no place to call home. In contrast, Peter calls them beloved, beloved. And one of the big questions of our time is how does one live his Christian life in, say, Las Vegas, San Francisco, or the state of Orissa in India, or in Kabul, 
in Afghanistan or in Mosul in Iraq and on and on. Dozens of other places where the climate is hostile for Christians. It's this kind of question that the people in the five provinces mentioned in verse 1 of chapter 1 were asking. There are five provinces there, and you'll notice that they're called aliens and strangers in verse 1. This is who he's talking to. How do you live in a world gone mad? Peter, the writer of our epistle that we're going to consider this morning, is absolutely masterful in the way he, in the way he describes the situation. First of all, he tells us who we are. And secondly, how we are to live. And if you have your Bibles, would you turn to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. It's interesting that uh, Bill was reading from 1 Peter, chapter 2, this morning in, an, in the other service. But 1 Peter, chapter 2, and beginning to read at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may be, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves for the Lord to the Lord, for the Lord's sake, in every to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men. And do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use us as bond slaves of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. And servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Wow. Let's go directly to the text and see what the Apostle Paul is going to say to us. We begin in verse 11 with an urgent plea by Peter. Beloved, I urge you. And, and I can see Peter uh, just summing up all of the compassion that he, and uh, directive that he can muster. Beloved, I urge you. I urge you, there seems to be in Peter's plea a tenderness and a gentleness by a man whose name means the rock, formerly an impulsive man, a man whose character could be described as a bit rough. Yes, he's a strong man, but the years have mellowed him and toned him down. The rough edges are smooth a little here, and we see him fulfilling the words of Jesus spoken to him on the Sea of Galilee when he said to Peter, tend my lambs, tend my sheep. 
And that's what he's doing now. That's exactly what he's doing now. He's, he's taking care of the sheep. He notices that they're living in a hostile world. He knows that they're aliens. They're not accepted. They're these aliens that nobody wants. And they're scattered throughout those five provinces uh, there in Asia Minor. Hmm. Beloved, I urge you. Why does Peter have such a sense of urgency in his plea? Well, Peter tells us in verse 11, you want to look at that again? He says, fleshly lusts are waging war against the soul. This is warfare. Peter doesn't want to see any sheep injured or hurt in any way. So in verses 11 and 12, he gives us three reasons why we need to discipline and direct our lives. And I'd like to go over those three reasons. First of all, in verse 11, we are reminded that in this world, we are aliens and strangers. Our real citizenship is in heaven. And he tells the believers that this world is not our home. You know, we're just a passing through. And the word alien describes those who have no rights, no legal status, and the word stranger emphasizes our temporary status in this world. We're here only for a short time, and while we're here, we're strangers. We're not known by the intelligentsia of our day. We're not known, we're not considered. If we were citizens of this world, we would indulge in the same pattern of behavior as this world's regular citizens. As Jesus taught us in John chapter 17, we are in the world, but not of the world. And even though we live temporarily in this world, we in reality are called out of the world. And it is for this reason that there should be a difference between us and the world. There is a difference between a Christian worldview and a pagan worldview. There is a difference. So Peter, first of all, tells us that we are aliens and strangers. We're illegal immigrants, in a sense. Secondly, we're told in verse 11 that we are to abstain from fleshly lusts because it affects our physical and our spiritual well-being. And perils still confront us in our spiritual lives, and they come from our fallen human nature. Lust is an inordinate desire. It is that which we use to satisfy our wildest instincts. And by fleshly lusts, we mean our selfish natural, and often vicious desires. If it is our desire to get drunk, we get drunk. My grandson lives in the dorm at Cal Berkeley, and Saturday night is get drunk night. 
And so he spends Saturday night alone in this nearly empty dorm. The desire is to drink, and the drinking goes on until people are drunk. If our lust is to smoke pot, that's what one does. I know of a middle-aged man who is addicted to smoking pot. Is he happy? No. Does he live a productive, fulfilled life? Not at all. And it's hurtful to see him losing the battle. And one can tell when one is losing the battle. One can see it. One can observe the battle being lost. And the word war in verse 11 is full of meaning. It gives the idea of the march of an army against the city. And the war of the Greeks against Troy may be a good example. When the Greeks couldn't penetrate the defenses of Troy, they employed the idea of a wooden horse which I would suggest is much like the fleshly lusts in that war against our soul. And like the Trojan horse, these fleshly lusts are like a sneaky, deadly intrusion of our very soul. And they hurt us. They hurt our life. The fleshly lusts are destructive to the inner life. And they attack it relentlessly and conquer it and lead it into captivity and cut off much of one's moral strength. And Peter says, I urge you, I urge you to abstain from fleshly lusts that war against your soul. Now, how may we overcome these fleshly lusts? And the scripture helps us there. First of all, it is possible to use self-restraint. It is possible. It is true that we are children of the fall, and so we come into life with the taint of evil already in us. And that is what Genesis chapter 3 teaches us. However, it is also true that no temptation can happen to us but such as is common to men. There is a common, ordinary kind of thing that embraces us all or tries to embrace us all. But there is also a way of escape. God is able to give deliverance to us from being overcome. And I'd like to recommend, if you already don't have this underlined, to underline 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. And there you will read about the temptation that is such as is common to man. But God is able, who will with the temptation also bring a way of escape so that we may be able to overcome it. Secondly, we need to walk in the Spirit. And the Apostle Paul says in the book of Galatians, walk in the Spirit, and listen to this, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. That's a pretty direct statement. 
It is not enough to resolve to abstain. We need to be in touch with the Spirit through prayer, through reading the Scriptures, by gathering together with other believers. We need to be aware of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Verse 12, the third reason for a disciplined life. It is because of our influence for God on unbelievers. We have an influence upon others. Hope you know that. Our aim in prayer should be that our enemies, our text calls them slanderers and evildoers, should come to see our good works and as a result glorify God. As an example, I thought of the Bay Area Rescue Mission. When the city of Richmond observes the good deeds of that mission, they honor the good works being done there. And in so doing, maybe unknown to them, they glorify God because they are honoring the works of that mission and recognizing them. Christians are slandered as evildoers today and we only have to think of David Brown in Albania. If you don't know David Brown, he's been sentenced to 20 years in prison in Albania, presumably for molesting uh, two young boys. And the two young boys had testified against David Brown. But just recently, those two young boys have now recanted their uh, confessions of uh, this man having abused them and said he did not abuse them. And they have cried and uh, uh, have gone to the attorneys. And I don't know whether the attorneys are going to accept that change or not. But David Brown knows the slander that causes him to be sentenced to 20 years in prison. And for him, that's a virtual life sentence. Many people being slandered and threatened for bringing the word of God to people. And continuing our theme, how are we then to live as Christians in a hostile world? And one of the ways the Apostle Peter speaks of is the discipline of submission. And there are at least three areas of submission that Peter talks about, and I just want to mention them briefly to you. First, we are to submit ourselves for the Lord's sake. Verses 13 to 17. Why should the saints of the first century submit to the likes of Nero or Caligula or to any of the other Roman emperors who almost without exception were all homosexuals? So here you have the leaders of the Roman Empire should I, as a Christian, submit to them as they come up with uh, a lot of devilish ideas? Should I submit to them? For the Lord's sake, Christians should be willing to submit, not because they have to, but because they are under authority, and the authority is of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word submit... <coughs> is the Greek word hupotasso, 
which means to rank yourselves under. It's a military term, and as a private is under a sergeant, and a sergeant is under a second lieutenant, and a second lieutenant is under a major, etc., etc., it means to rank under. And the Christian is very much like the private. He has to submit to all of the uh, uh, other ranks, whether it be corporal or sergeant or, or, or whatever. He has to submit. He ranks under. And I want to say a little more about the subject of submission as we move along further. Then we have the phrase, for the Lord's sake. Do it because you love God. Do it because you want to serve him the very best you know how. Do it for the Lord's sake. That provides the motive, motive for our dutiful obedience or conformity. And there are two good interpretations for that kind of submission. One is, by faith, Christians recognize such institutions as divinely ordained. And therefore, they render their submission. And secondly, because as a man, the Lord himself was submissive, therefore Christians ought to follow his example. Submission. We don't like that word generally. But some questions we, questions we might ask ourselves, should I obey the laws of our country or should I submit to them? Should I pay taxes? Should I get a driver's license? Should I obey the laws of the highway? And because I am free, should I obey only the laws I like and set the others aside? The text says, first of all, that I am to submit, verse 13, to every human institution. Because, as verse 15 is going to point out, it is the will of God. There's, there's a however here. However, if the laws of our human institutions are in conflict with the scriptures, then, as Peter says in, first, in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. Yes, we do obey the laws of the state, as long as they're not in conflict with the laws of God. And then we must, disrespe we must respectfully then say, sorry, can't do that. Can't do that. We were having dinner with a man last night, and uh, he's a contractor. And he was working on a house that was being converted into a Buddhist mosque in Berkeley. And the uh, people that hired him said, uh, well, now we want you to uh, do this to the bathrooms. We want you to do this to this meeting hall. And, but we also want you to build this altar uh, for Buddha. And he said, I will fix your bathrooms. I will do this other work, but I refuse to do this altar to Buddha. Didn't do it. Wouldn't do it. That offended his conscience. And he could not do it and didn't do it. 
And this dear man is respected by many, many people because of his stand. A second area of submission is in verse 18, which instructs a servant or an employee on how they are to live in a sometimes abusive environment. It is a Christian's new awareness of God and what is pleasing to him that should inspire and enable him to serve even when it's difficult and painful to stick with, stick with it. One day, I, was, I think I was a sophomore in college, and I came home early in the afternoon to my home. And my father came home early. And I wondered, how come he's home? And he said that he had been fired from his job. And why was he fired? He was fired because he was witnessing to the other men on his lunch hour. But he was fired. And my dad said, uh, don't worry about it. He says, I think the Lord will give me a better job. And he did. You know, praise God, he did. But sometimes, and let me back up. I'm not sure that my father was wise, uh, but I sure admired him for that. And I'll never forget that, that day that I came home, and there he was. And he wasn't down in the mouth or anything. He, uh, he said, well, uh, the scripture says that in this world we will suffer tribulations. And maybe that's my little bit of tribulation that God is sending into my life. The one message that the Spirit of God had for these people can be summarized in these words. Submit, endure, be subject, take it patiently. I'm sure that all of us have made mistakes in the workforce. And maybe we also know what it means to be reprimanded and or punished. And the text reminds us in verse 18 and 19 that under such circumstances where we are the ones who violated some rule or infraction and we had an infraction of the rules, we have no ground for complaint. We cannot excuse ourselves. We can't put the blame on others or on our circumstances. We rather need to take such rebuke patiently or if necessary, to confess our wrong and ask to be forgiven. On the other hand, sometimes our superiors, our employers may be difficult to please, perhaps finding fault even though we have done a good job. We may meet with nothing but reprimand and rebuke. And even in this case, Peter says, we are to take it patiently. That's how we are to live in this world. Please notice particularly verse 21. I think that's the verse that uh, Bill read this morning. To hear the apostle, from the apostle, what our calling is. I want you to notice that. For you have been called for this purpose, 
Now, when I read a statement like that, I really want to pay attention. Why have I been called? Well, it's for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow his steps. Now, I want you to put yourself into the first century. You're living as an alien and a stranger in one of those five provinces that were mentioned, was mentioned in verse 1. And you're called to suffer. How are you to live? Christians, how did you live in that first century? How did you do it? Well, how they did it? I'll read it to you. You were called for this purpose. Since Christ once also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. That's how you are to live. Does that sound hard? Does that sound almost impossible? We are called for that purpose. Christ also suffered. And we're called to walk in his steps. The innocent sometimes are called to suffer here on earth as though they had done the wrong. The suffering is supremely illustrated in the passion of Christ and we are to follow in his steps. Pilate pronounced Jesus innocent, without guilt, and yet he was put to death as if he were the supreme criminal. Are we to follow in his steps? The apostle teaches Christ's disciples about three, th three things about suffering. First of all, the implication of the phrase is Christ also suffered. Other people suffered, he also suffered. In verse 21, is that suffering is part of our calling because it was part of his. It's part of our calling. Secondly, his suffering was not on, a, on his account, but for us, for the good of others. And thirdly, he provided a precedent and an example for his followers. Suffering is something that uh, we are called to do. We are expected to share in it. It's an experience that is to regard it not with shame, and resentment, but with joy and thanksgiving to God. It's interesting to notice Isaiah chapter 53 is one of our favorite uh, chapters among believers. And it tells us about the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. And did you notice that there are at least five references to Isaiah 53 in our passage in verses 22 to 25? The third area of submission that I want to mention very briefly relates to the most intimate of human relationships. And of course, I refer to the relationship of husband and wife. How are husbands and wives to live in this world, in this hostile world? 
And this area is one of the key passages necessary to our understanding how husbands and wives are to live with each other. That is chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. No one needs to tell us that our generation may be watching the death of marriage and an attempt to obliterate the family as we know it. Many th things have contributed to the attempted murder being launched against God's basic unit of society. And some of the things that are hurled at society are immorality and adultery and pornography and homosexuality and abortion and sterilization and crime to sexual rebellion and on and on. We had some propositions on the ballot last year. Proposition 8. Proposition 8 about homosexual marriage, the marriage between a man and a woman. And proposition number 4 that parental notification be given with regard to abortion. And so we have these battles, this warring against Christians and society, in our society. And what are we to do? How are we to live in this world? Well, we're to submit when it doesn't conflict with the laws of God. I want you to look very quickly at uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. And we'll just barely touch on it. And uh, that'll be your homework, is to further study this passage on your own. But chapter 3, and I want you particularly to notice verse 1. In the same way, you wives. In the same way. What way? The same way. Well, what's the same way? The same way, just read a little bit before. What has gone on before? Well, it says that uh, Christ suffered for us. That he was submissive. That when he was reviled, he did not revile back again. In the same way. Why? Is it just for wives? Look at verse 7. You husbands, likewise, or in the same way. In the same way. We're to submit. When reviled, when somebody says a nasty word, do I pay him back with the same coin? No. In the same way, wives live in such a way. In the same way, husbands live in such a way. We don't have time to cover that this morning. I just want to uh, just point that out to you so that you can do some study on your own. You might enjoy doing that study there in 1 Peter chapter 3. One of the significant passages on husband-wife relationships. Everyone is to practice submission. Everyone. Wives, husbands. In the same way. 
Well, in closing, Peter started out our passage for today calling Christians beloved. And that's how I would like to close. Beloved, we live in a hostile world. May we love one another fervently. May we work together well. Let us encourage one another. And when we think of submission, let's not use this as a club, but rather as a means of being of help to one another. And life is made up of many, many different kinds of relationships. There's government and citizens. As citizens, we're to submit to the laws unless they violate the laws of God. There's servants and masters or bosses and employees. And again, the principle of submission is present. There are strange sheep and there is a shepherd that seeks to bring back the sheep together. There's husbands and wives, all covered in this passage. May we more fully understand our roles and so as verse 12 of chapter 2 tells us, keep our behavior excellent. And may the Lord help us. This has been a passage that uh, I've been thinking about for quite a long time. And I feel like we barely scratched the surface. We live in a hostile world as aliens, as strangers, as pilgrims. And as I was uh, preparing for today, I was thinking of my son, whose middle, who named one of his children Pilgrim. That's the middle name. And uh, we kind of made fun of it initially when we heard of it. You know, that's a strange name. What are you going to do? Call him, hey, Pilgrim, come over here. But you know, that's a biblical word, and it's used of Christians in a hostile world. Pilgrim. How would you like the name Pilgrim? So, Father, we just come to you now in Jesus' name. And we pray, Father, that you would help us as we've uh, gone over this passage with regard to people living in a hostile world, whether the relationship was as a employee, a servant, or whether it was as a husband or a wife or, or whatever, Lord, help us. Help us, we pray, to be that kind of person that loves you so much that we can call each other beloved Lord, bless this uh, congregation of your people, and may we, Father, leave this place having been blessed by your presence. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.